0: Welcome to Declassified College, a podcast where we give you all the cheat codes needed to pass this level in your life. Each week, we share three short episodes filled with clips of our interviews with students from across the United States and occasionally an interview with an industry expert to answer all of your questions about attending university. College can be what sets you up for a prosperous career, or it can be the four years that when you look back on it, you wish that you did it different. We're here to make sure that you have all the information so that by the time you walk across that stage, you're ready for the so-called real world that the boomers love to talk about. My name is Justin Nguyen, and it's about time we declassified college. So continuing off of the last few episodes that were geared around networking, I wanted to bring on my friend Austin Belkac, who is the founder of Cultivated Culture which is where he helps people get jobs at companies such as Google, Microsoft, Facebook, et cetera. You name it, he's probably helped someone get placed there. But what we talked about in these next two episodes are exactly what students should be doing to A, connect with people and how to do it, but also B, how to build on that relationship and how to actually leverage that in terms of getting a job. We always hear that you need to network, but no one ever tells us how. And Austin does an amazing job of explaining exactly how to do that in these next two episodes. So, without further ado, let's jump into it.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me, Justin. I, I really appreciate it, man. I and mean, I re- really appreciate what you're doing with the podcast here. My whole business was founded on on you know p- helping solve for some of the things that I didn't learn in college and that I I wish that I knew. So this is right up my alley, I and mean, I really appreciate you having me on. But yeah. So I mean. Basically, I do two things right now. During the day, I work for Microsoft 9 to 5, and I work in partnerships over there in our New York office. And then outside of that, I run the site you mentioned, cultivatedculture.com, which essentially aims to help job seekers land their dream job without applying online. We're taking some unconventional strategies, a bit of a non traditional approach that actually ends up being a little bit more effective than your same old, you know, tweak your resume, tweak your cover letter, apply online. And so, right now, we have about 120,000 job seekers in the community. We've been around for about four years. And I think at this point, we've helped people get offers at pretty much every company that you can think of Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, Deloitte, Goldman Sachs, SpaceX, Tesla, really across the board, from New Grad all the way up to the C level. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And I'm excited to chat with you about some of those strategies.
0: 100%. So, do you have a secret sauce when it comes to finding that job offer? Because I feel like at least with my journey through college, you're always told, okay, just update your resume, apply to as many jobs as you can, or apply to your specific five companies that you want to. But that's really all the guidance that I really got from college. If you were to give someone a 30 second pitch of what to do when looking for a new job, what would that be?
1: Yeah, it really comes down to two things. So the first is finding somebody who can influence your ability to get hired. You know, we're taught to kind of reach out to recruiters or reach out to people in HR when those are actually some of the worst people you can reach out to for a couple of reasons. Since we're keeping it to 30 seconds, you really want to go find somebody who would be your manager if you got hired or who, who would be a colleague who already has the role that you're looking for. Because not only can they refer you in, they can coach you through the interview process. They can be in the room where the hiring decision is is being made and say, Hey, look, I've talked to Justin. I know what he brings to the table. Like we have a lot of good candidates, but he is our guy. And that's super powerful. And then the second thing is stepping outside of your resume and your cover letter to show your value, especially as a student where you may feel like I don't have any experience to speak to outside of my GPA or you know, the classes I've taken or my internship. I know so many people who have said, hey, I know I can do this job if you'll just give me a chance. The problem is companies aren't in the business of taking chances on people. They want to see that you can do the role. And so I like to call this a value validation project, and we can talk about it a little bit more, but it's essentially a deliverable that allows you to say, Hey, I've done some research on your company. I know what your goals are. I know what your challenges are. I know where you're going over the next six to 12 months. Here are some ideas. Here's me showing you exactly what you'd get if you hired me. And when you combine those two things, the referral plus the value validation project, that tends to be, you know, as close to a silver bullet as you can get in the job search these days.
0: So let's talk about that value. What did you call it again? Yeah. Value
1: validation project. So I just call it a VVP for short. Okay.
0: So VVP, let's, let's dive into that because yeah. I have a feeling that I kind of know what it is. Um, I just want to confirm that feeling with you.
1: Sure. So I'll give you an example of a, of a student that I recently helped. She was a senior at WashU and she, she ended up getting a job at Microsoft. We worked together. She was one of my clients that, that I coached. And basically we had two routes, right? We had the route that colleges teach you, which is exactly what you said. You know, tweak that, tweak that resume, tweak that cover letter. Apply online, you know, see if you can find an alumni, reach out to a recruiter, whatever it is. You can take that route, but the problem is you you sort of get caught in the mass of all these other resumes. And the toughest part when you're coming out of college is... Every, everything is flat. The playing field is flat, right? We talked about, you know, you're, you're differentiating on maybe your GPA, maybe where you went to school, you know, as unfortunate as that is, what your major was, where your internship was. There's not a lot of stuff. Whereas once you get deeper into your career, you have a lot more that you can add on to your resume. There's a lot more depth to the, to the candidates um, and not depth in a way to demean college students. It's just tough to you know, get that experience when you've been spending time getting an education, which is what we're all told to do. So to no fault of, of your own. And so it, it's hard because that everybody else is kind of doing the same thing. And one of the things that I thought was crazy when I was graduating college was I would go to the career services center and they'd say, here's our resume template. And it was the same resume <laughs> template that they gave to 1500 other people in my graduating class. And I'm like, how is this supposed to help me stand out when thousands of other people are using the same thing? I just don't understand. So what I did with this person that I was coaching, she wanted a job in, in one of our rotational marketing programs. So Microsoft has a setup where they'll bring you in and they'll kind of rotate you through a couple of different positions within a, a specific discipline, marketing, sales, engineering, something like that. So what we did was we went and looked at Microsoft's products and we said, okay, which product could use a little bit of marketing magic? And at the time it was, it was Microsoft Teams. We we'd launched it. It was our Slack competitor. If anybody's familiar with Slack, who's listening kind of like a chat based workplace communication tool. So we launched and we made it a part of Office, but it wasn't picking up a ton of steam. I mean, it's kind of funny now, because with the pandemic, you know, Teams has like gone (laughs) through the roof. But back then they were struggling to get some use. We had a lot of people who are using Office, which Teams is included in, you know, they're using PowerPoint, they're using Word, they're not using Teams. So this person that I was coaching, she said, "All right, how can I differentiate myself? And she went out and she surveyed whole bunch of people. She went out and surveyed folks who were using Teams or who might be in the demographic. She went and actually surveyed Slack users, so users of you know Teams' competitor, biggest competitor. And then she went. She just did some market research. She read through reviews in the App Store. She read articles on Teams and on Slack, and she came up with three specific ideas for Microsoft to basically increase market share, increase user growth for Teams, and. We, we just played into the information that we found. So we said, Hey, you know, right now, you have an amazing base of users, you have 155 million office users, why aren't we funneling them into into teams where it's natural. So one of the biggest frustrations for me, which I didn't run into into my until I started in the professional world. But when you try to send a PowerPoint deck, that's more than 20 megabytes, it won't go through email, and then you're stuck, you're like, how the heck do I send this thing? Well, teams will handle that for you. So What if Microsoft just built a little pop-up in in PowerPoint, which everybody uses, that said, hey, you know, I'm bigger than 20 megabytes now. If you want to send me, you know, try Teams. And maybe you click and it auto-attaches it in Teams. So we came up with a few ideas like that just from talking to people. We created a deck and we sent it off to some folks who... As I mentioned before, you know, we're in a position to, to funnel her in, to refer her in, and the rest is kind of history. She got referred in. She leveraged that deck as basically a conversation starter and an illustration of her value throughout the interview process, and she ended up getting the role. So rather than relying on bullets on her resume or paragraphs in a cover letter, she basically said, hey, I can do this job. Let me show you. And she went out and did exactly that.
0: Awesome. So that's something that I I tell people to do as well. I don't call it, I don't have a name as cool as yours as a VVP, but like a, a common question that I have whenever I tell students that is, okay, that's really easy for a business major, right? Because you're doing something business related, especially if you're a marketing major, but let's say someone is in the computer science world or maybe like a tech based industry. How does someone build a VVP for something that they might not necessarily be able to get that sort of information for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so it's really about being creative and it's it's definitely a struggle when you're a student because you haven't quite been exposed to a lot of options out there. So just coming from personal experience, if I tried to create a VVP as a student, I think I I would probably have been totally lost. I had none of the experience that I have now. And so th- this is a totally valid question. So the best part about this, though, is that if you kind of get started down the right path and you get out there and you explore a little bit and you, you see what's available, you're going to build this muscle that's going to be huge for you as a professional. Because the people who are the most successful across disciplines are the ones who are able to find creative solutions while working with limited resources. And that's essentially what we're doing with the value validation project. So to break it down stepwise, first thing is research, you know, doing company research is huge. So a couple of things that I like to do. One, if it's a public company, I really like to go listen to their earnings call. So every quarter, public companies are are essentially required to report out on how they're doing to shareholders. And they usually hold a webcast where they talk about that. So if you type in the company name and investor relations into Google, it should be the first link there. And you can listen to their most recent uh, earnings call and just hear what they have to say. They'll typically talk about you know, a lot of the stuff we care about, where, where things are at, are they good or bad? You know, where are we going over the next six to 12 months? What challenges are we facing? Uh, what goals do we have? What initiatives are we driving? Next, I like to use a site called seekingalpha.com, which is another resource for public companies but it's great because it's like a Google finance It has a lot of the news, but then it has financial analysts who are coming in and writing opinion pieces on that news. And that's really informative because you'll get a sense of the opinions that are out there on the news that's happening. And that will give you a sense of both sides of the coin, you know, what people who are arguing for, people who are, are arguing against. And that will really help you formulate your own opinion as well as, you know, ask some really good questions. And then moving into some more strategies you can use that also work for private companies. One is uh, listening to interviews with executives. So just getting out there and finding a podcast with an executive, going to YouTube and finding a keynote speech that they gave. Listening to somebody talk about their business for 20, 40, 60 minutes. You're gonna pick up on a lot of stuff that they're emphasizing, things they care about, You'll be able to hear the language that they use. So you can mirror that in your interviews or when you talk to people or in your value validation project. And then finally, I love the the piece that I mentioned earlier, getting out there and and getting information straight from the market, straight from customers. There's a ton of ways to do this, especially depending on your field, but surveying customers is a great one. And it doesn't just have to be the company's customers. It could be competitive customers, or it could be Customers who may be in the company's target demographic, reading reviews, going out there and finding communities like Reddit can be a great place for this because they have subreddits, which are basically specific communities based around a niche topic. So there's one for Apple. There's even one for the iPhone. You can see what people are saying, what they like, what they don't like. And you can glean a lot of information from that stuff. And then what you want to do is take a step back and say, okay, you know, what are my options here? What am I seeing through this data? Um, And this is really a place where, you know, if you do have somebody who's a bit of a mentor or you have somebody that you can go to to kind of help you distill this, you know, by all means, but what what you're really looking for is a way for you to suggest some ideas or offer up a solution. And if you can make it evidence-based in the sense that, hey, this is what your customers are asking for. Hey, this is what the data is showing. That is, that is the best thing that you can possibly do. And so in terms of, you know, how do we do this for different disciplines? Again, it's really about being creative within a, a limited resources. So, for example, if you're a data scientist, something that you could do potentially is go find it in a free, you know, open source data set. So, for example, Twitter allows people to plug into their API for free and kind of scrape data out of there. So something I like to do is look through these bootcamp capstone projects because some people come up with some really interesting stuff. One of the data scientists in there actually went and did a sentiment analysis for airlines based on Twitter. So essentially they scraped millions of tweets over a couple month period and they picked four airlines and they said, they did some natural language processing on it. And they said, they basically said, okay, tweets that look like this are positive tweets that look like this are negative. And then they broke out the sentiment to say, you know, no shocker, all the airlines had, you know, a horrible (laughs) skew towards the negative, but they walked through their entire process and they put it in a deck. And I thought that was really, really cool. You know, if you're a graphic designer, something that you can do is maybe go look at a company's branding. And mock up some of your own designs or illustrations for, let's say, ad creative for them if they're going to use a Facebook ad or a blog post header. Or you could even potentially redesign their webpage or website. There's a great article on SoundCloud. If you type in SoundCloud app and then Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y in medium.com. So Kelly SoundCloud app, medium.com. It should be one of the first links that comes up. We can maybe share it in the show notes. But this girl, Kelly, was a UI UX designer. And she basically has an article titled, My Friends Hate the SoundCloud App, so I redesigned it for them. And this was a couple years ago when SoundCloud was kind of in its prime. But she essentially created a blog post case study where she did market research on who the ideal SoundCloud listener is. Um, She created personas for each of them. So here is, you know, John, and he's an ideal listener for X, Y, and Z reasons. And here's Jennifer, who's an ideal listener for ABC reasons. And then she actually went and prototyped out a brand new SoundCloud app. And so that's another fantastic example. If you are an engineer or if you're a software engineer, I was just down at Duke giving a workshop and one of the the students in the audience, he said that he liked to go through his favorite company's websites and applications and find bugs and then send it to the company. You know, I thought that was a fantastic idea. I've had some other software developers that I've worked with actually create an app that might be useful for the company. So if this was a sales company, they would create maybe like a little Chrome extension that helped people find emails. And it could just be a skinned version of an API or something that already exists out there, but just them going in and making the extra effort to do that. There's so many ways to do this. You know, if you're a salesperson going in and serving a bunch of customers and seeing what their big pain points are and coming up with some solutions that maybe the company isn't already offering. One of the easiest ways is honestly to go talk to customers and see what they're complaining about and build something based off of that. But if you go to, on my site, there's an article, if you go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash value, there's a bunch of examples there. Um, and I try to keep that updated as, as people give me examples that I can put up there. But yeah, it really comes down to, again, the, the creativity with limited resources. And honestly, the only way you're going to get good at it or, or even better at it is just by practicing, by going out there. You know, the first few are going to stink. But as you continue to do it, you're going to get better and better, and especially as you get feedback on your project. So the best advice I have is just go get started. Start with the research. Start brainstorming some ideas. Um, put something together and then float it by you know, some people that you know. If you have a mentor again, parents, friends, people like that, and see what their feedback is, and then tweak and adjust as you go. Starting to learn that now is going to be an invaluable skill down the road. Because no matter what career you're in, if you're really good at identifying opportunities or problems and then coming up with solutions on the spot and being able to pitch them quickly, that's not only going to help you get a a job that you love, it's also going to help you climb the ladder pretty quickly.
0: 100%. And I feel like that's something that schools don't really teach us is they don't emphasize the importance of being able to stand out, right? It's kind of, you're kind of taught to conform during school of you need to get good grades, you need to join clubs, yada, yada, yada. But when it comes to the application world and trying to uh, transition into the real world, what you really need to do is stand out. And when you're coming from, for instance, my my uh, old university, UCF, there's seventy thousand students that go there. So a graduating class is like ten, probably to twenty thousand students. You're just a number, and you're just a piece of paper unless Mm -hmm. you find some way to showcase that you have some value. And that's why I love your VVP. Um, That that's simply amazing, and it's a great way to. Explain it to students. So, let's say the student, okay, they've created their VVP. How do they take that next step of getting it to the right person, right? And I feel like that's the hardest part is the networking side of okay, who do I even look to when it comes to trying to reach out to them? Where do I reach out to them, etc.
1: Yeah, hundred um, percent. And so we, we sort of started uh, with the cart before the horse a little bit. So the VVP is sort of the second half of of the ball game, if we're going with the sports analogy. What you don't want to do is spend hours and hours and hours creating a value validation project before you've sort of had any contact with the company um, or, or anyone there. And so actually the first part of this process, you know, if we just kind of want to walk through the steps quickly. First, everybody I coach, the, the number one step I have them take is, is to go create a list of 10 to 15 companies they want to work for. And I have them build it out in a, basically the same fashion that, that you would if you were applying to colleges. You know, you have your stretch companies, you have your middle of the road companies, and you have your safety companies. And safety companies aren't safety in the sense that, hey, you know, I know I'll be able to go here or get in, you know, no matter what, because that's not always the case in the job search. Safety companies are more so there to allow us to get some practice and some reps with this, with this system in a low stakes environment. Because you don't want to make the same mistakes I did when I was starting out. I sent emails to VPs at Google that had like glaring typos in them amongst a whole bunch of other (laughs) stuff. But this process was new for me too. When I was kind of building it out, it took a lot of trial and error. And one of the best things or one of the best pieces of advice I would have given my, my younger self would be to say, Hey, why don't you go test this process out with some companies that you don't really care about at the end of the day? You know, sure, if you get an offer, great, you can potentially use that as leverage for negotiation for other companies. But you'll get some reps, you know, reaching out to people, having conversations with them, creating value validation projects, interviewing, uh, even salary negotiation if you get that far. And so having some of those safety companies in that list is really critical because you work your way from low priority to high priority. You get some confidence, you get some practice, um, you become more effective as you go. So that's the first piece. The next is going and building out a, a list of contacts. So I typically aim for about 150 people minimum. And that sounds like a lot, but it's really only 10 to 15 people at those 10 to 15 companies, depending on, you know, how you slice and dice it. And we can very easily find 10 to to 15 people at the companies we want to work for. But the reason for that number is because, you know, so I'm in sales at Microsoft and, and basically Microsoft comes to me and they say, Hey, Austin, you have to sell X number of dollars worth of Microsoft product, or, you know, you may not have a job here. So I have to come up with a way to back into that. So what I do is I look at my entire sales process. I, I, cut it into different steps. And I assign success rates to every step. And then I work my way back from my number. So same thing works for this process for a job seeker. You know, if you want an offer and your success rate from final round interview to offer is let's say, you know, 33%, or let's say you want two offers rather, just we have some options. If that same rate holds true 33%, you need about six final round interviews. And then if we have that same rate from first round to final round, 33%, we need 18 first round interviews. And then if we're getting those interviews through referrals, which we hope we are, you know, we need to have something like 40, 50 conversations, which again, sounds like a lot, but not so bad when you kind of pace it out, especially if you're a student, you have a longer runway, but we, not everybody we get on the phone with is going to refer us in, right? So we need to have a buffer there. And then finally, not everybody we email is going to get back to us. So we also need to put in a buffer there. And that tends to back out to about 150 people to swing those odds in our favor. And the rates that I'm using, you know, the best thing I recommend to job seekers is go through this process and keep track of your own rates. The rates that I'm mentioning are just averages that I see with the people that I coach and the people who kind of let me like peek over their shoulders. They're going through the process. But we, we find those 150 people very easy. You can find them on LinkedIn. You just go to the platform. You type in, you know, the job title that you want. Use the filters to filter in. You add them all into an Excel sheet and then we go for the outreach process.
0: Another day, another cheat code, and you're on your way to defeating the level that we like to call college. If you've liked any of the cheat codes that we've given out, please hit that subscribe button and give us a review on iTunes. Each review helps us grow and make sure that more people learn these tips. We love to hear from you all, so make sure you check out our website, www.getchogrindup.com and follow us on all social media platforms at Get Your Grind Up. That's G-E-T-C-H-O-G-R-I-N-D-U-P. So until next time, peace.